When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, baseball and general life fans. Likely Mad as Hell is brought to you by the Forever Dog Podcast Network. Check out more great podcasts on foreverdogpodcasts.com. And hey, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever the hell you get your podcasts. All right, now let's play ball. Play is to first as McCann scores. An RBI for Lance McCullers Jr. to the spring. Shot in the left center field. Back at the wall. It's gone. Here's a ground ball right side. Could do it. The Houston Astros are world champions for the first time in franchise history. But wherever you All right, here it is. This is the last World Series diary episode of Likely Mad as Hell. I'm Rhea Butcher, your host. I don't know. I've been saying I'm a host. Are you really a host when you're just talking into your phone? I don't know. <laughs> that was Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. Thank you for the use of Hope the High Road. I called it Hope and the High Road earlier. That was a mistake. I had to take a day in between recording... Um, or watching Game 7 of the World Series and then recording this podcast for multiple reasons, and I'll let you know what those are. (laughs) I didn't check my calendar before I said yes to a college gig in New Orleans, um, and it was during the World Series. Um, You know, I gotta get better at those things. (laughs) I will be uh, blocking out that time period next year. I mean, granted, if I make sure... I think part of me was also like, if you take the time off, if you don't take the gig, then they won't make it. You know, that kind of a thing. I remember I have a neighbor, because I live in the world, um, but I have a neighbor, their backyard is, you know, right by my driveway, and they're out there often with their little toddler. And a couple months ago, um, the guy was talking to somebody else about trying to buy World Series tickets, and this is before the... Dodgers 16 out of 17 slump. And I'm speaking about the Dodgers because that's where I live. So I I understand if you're like, man, this podcast is tilted. Well, I tried and I mean, I I like the Dodgers and I live in Los Angeles. So the, the, my frame of reference is more that, you know, if I lived in Houston, I would probably have a, a more tilted frame of reference to them, but I have been paying attention to both teams. And so this story happens to be about the Dodgers, but this guy was like, I'm just, I'm afraid to buy the tickets. I'm afraid I'm going to jinx them. And in that moment, I was Glad that I was not alone. Because <laughs> sometimes I feel like I'm just alone in my superstitiousness, um, in my bad luckedness, and uh, I'll definitely get into that 
even more. But somebody that helped me stop feeling that way, even just a little bit, was uh, Andy Billman. I think I talked about this before. Andy Billman, the director of Believe One Thirty for Thirty, I was texting him this past finals, and he was like, "You have no bearing on this," and I was like, "Oh my God, you're kidding me." I never really had anybody like tell me <clears throat> or show me superstitions. It was just sort of in my life. I don't know how. I mean, my grandmother was her her mother was from Scotland. I feel like that's there's a lot of superstition from there. That's what I heard from them. And I mean, nobody had like good luck charms or anything like this, but it was all kind of like, well, they lost because I did this. It's always on the sort of negative side of things. And being from Northeastern Ohio and surrounded by Cleveland sports, there were a lot of reasons to feel as though you created the problem <laughs> because there weren't, there weren't a lot of positives <laughs> for a, a long time. Uh, 52 years to be exact. <clears throat> so, um, I flew to New Orleans Wednesday morning. I got up at five, went to the airport. My wife Cameron had an earlier flight than me, so we just went at the same time. It was already weird. We There was this shirt that I had seen somebody wearing at Dodger Stadium for Game 6 that was one of those like caricature shirts, kind of like, I think the first time they were made was for the Chicago Bulls, um, where it's just like all the team and they have like kind of the, you know, just like the typical caricature that you get at the mall or Disneyland or Chicago Lake or wherever you go. Um, if you're old like me, then you know what I'm talking about. You could probably just look it up, but they've been making them again recently. But I saw a guy during the World Series coverage wearing one that was Dodgers and I was like, oh, that's a cool shirt. I'd like to get that shirt because to just be a little personal and why, <clears throat> why I am, like, a little sad and and where I'm at. Um, I honestly, I've been going to games since I moved to Los Angeles. Big shout-out to my friends Chris and Hannah for taking me to my first game for my birthday in 2013. Um, I hadn't been going to stuff, and I I didn't really go to professional sporting events it, it, at all, really, before, because um, the family that I grew up in, I wouldn't, we're not, I, I hesitate to be like, oh, we were poor. Cause like we had a, a, a decent house, a nice house that had been in my family since the sixties. I lived, you know, my mom and I lived with them. I didn't have a full house, which, Hey, I watched the show. That was good enough for me. Um, you know, I never was without food and I was never without heat, but, um, you know, I didn't have like, I had one room that I could be in and you know I lived with my grandparents um so that was just it and we didn't my mom and I didn't have a lot of money and so even though you can get tickets to sporting events for very cheap when when you don't think you ha think you have access to something you don't have access to something you know what I mean and so um this is not me crying poor and trying to get any pity or anything I'm just saying I don't think anybody in my family thought to go we also are we're just people that like didn't go on vacation and like vacation was not having to do anything. You know what I mean? Like that kind of, this is just the frame of, of, of how I was raised. You know, you didn't spend money, you held on to it and you don't waste it. And going to a baseball game would be wasting it because we could just watch it right here for free. Um, and so when my friends took me to a game, um, you know, I, I, 
it was the first time that I had gone to a baseball game as an adult, and I fell back in love with it, you know? Um, it was a new team. My only frame of reference of the Dodgers was the Atlanta Braves playing them, and I mean, my grandmother was like a huge Fernando fan. She liked him a lot. I, Oral Hershiser played for Cleveland for a while. I, of course, knew, like, Tommy Lasorda, like, all those dudes. Like, I knew the Kirk Gibson home run. Like, I knew all that stuff. That was my frame of reference. They were never a team that I was like, oh, I really dig that. Like, because it was just the West Coast. I didn't see them very often. But going to that game, I was like, oh, my God. You know, there's just, like, fans. People are really into the team. And it was pretty full. I mean, Cleveland was really full when I was following them as a kid because they had just, like, built this new stadium. They had this new crazy team that was really good. And, um, but... All that was sadness. All that was in, capped with sadness. So my, my feeling of all this was just like, what's the point, you know? And then I started going to these games and I would go to a couple here and there because I would talk to people and they would find out I was a fan of baseball and we would go to see games. And, um, so slowly but surely I was going to more, more and more games. And then this season, um, I had like just a little bit of extra, money and I was like I want to go to baseball games and I just st- because other people were saying like oh you're gonna let's go to Dodger games and um so I went to the first game I went to this season was well first I went to the World Baseball Classic which I want to say was really fun and it was but the reality is that um it was number one really hard to <laughs> listen to everybody chant USA, particularly right now. There were people in, like, Trump jerseys, which they definitely got booed and stuff, but they were still there. And I sat in the wrong seats at first, and I didn't realize that I was in the wrong seats, and I turned to this guy, and we had this conversation about, like, you know, he was like, oh, yeah, just stay here until whatever. Like, you know, you sit in the wrong seats, but somebody's not upset until someone else comes. And they were like, yeah, I mean, your seats are over in the Puerto Rican section. And I was like, what? Why is it, and the way he was saying it was so awful and so typical, you know? Um, and I personally was rooting for Puerto Rico. Number one, they're, they're the United States. <laughs> and number two, I, there were a bunch of players on that team that I really liked. Uh, Francisco Lindor, Kike Hernandez, Carlos Correa, Javi Baez. It was a chance for me to cheer for these dudes that were on other teams and now they're all on a team together. I mean, I just liked Puerto Rico. I liked that they were having fun. I liked that they dyed their hair together. I liked that they did all these things and were enjoying the game. I was cheering for Puerto Rico over the United States. So anyway, that was the first game that I went to. Hard to say it was fun. Puerto Rico just got stunned in that game, um, unfortunately. But it was a great event to say, like, I got to see it. I got to do it. Um... So that was my first game at Dodger Stadium this year, and then the first uh, MLB game that I went to there was against the Phillies when um, Turner and Puig and Bellinger all went back to back to back, and I caught a foul ball at that game. It was just like all these things where I was like, something is happening here, you know? This is way different than Dodger games that I've been to before, because they would always be, like, decent. It would always be like, well, this was a baseball game, you know? They'd either, like, score a couple runs early on and then just hold the game and coast for the rest of it, or they'd just get beat. <laughs> it was never, like, there was never any magic feeling or, like, it was, oh, they were always just so close, you know? Like, they felt like they were close to the thing. And then this season, 
I went to that game and I just was like, this is different. And Cameron and I started going to different games. We would like search for deals and stuff and go to these games. And over time, I was going to the games and they were making me happy because things were happening. They were manufacturing offense, hitting home runs. It was electric. It was different. And you could feel it. And it was making me feel better because in my life, number one, Donald fucking Trump is president. Number two, our show, we, we just got finished making our uh, second season of our television show that we made called Take My Wife, which was on a network called CISO, which in a couple of days is going to go away. So if you have a subscription to it and you want to watch this first season again, I recommend you do it right away. And hey, I'm maybe not saying this. If you want to watch it again, you have a phone. You can videotape things, right? Just pointing that out. So I think on November 8th, it's going away, which, how perfect of a date. Isn't that a perfect date? It's a perfect date. So anyway, I, I mean, I, I just, you know, they said our, the network was going away. The network gets canceled. The show isn't canceled. It has, I don't think, anything to do with our show in particular. We didn't cause the network to go down. That's other things that I probably can't talk about. But I was sad, you know. This was, uh, I'm still sad about it. I'm still, like, incredibly sad about it. I've been trying to, you know, put on a good face and everything, but, like, the reality is, like, we made a thing that we really wanted to make. We finally got the opportunity to make the show that we wanted to make. And people liked it, you know. It got really great reviews. We We came out of nowhere on this tiny little streaming network that everyone thought was like silly and we didn't i mean we were we were still just making a television show and we tried to make something real and we tried to make something we tried to do the right things we tried to hire people that needed an opportunity and we treated them with respect and things were hard and we did the job and i tried to be a nice boss and like i tried to learn from other people and i tried we just i just tried and now it's just in limbo and so it's been hard to be in that position, you know, emotionally and mentally, um, and try to just keep going when you don't really have an answer either way. And so I started going to these games and it was distracting and it brought me like actual joy, <laughs> you know, like I actually felt like happy for a couple moments and Sometimes it's hard to generate that for yourself, and sometimes you have to go somewhere to get it, you know? And that just, baseball just happened to be where I needed to go. And I mean, honestly, me getting back into baseball was this as well. I mean, I spent a bunch of time, I, I didn't really watch, honestly, from 1997, that was a difficult World Series, I was watching Believeland and I realized like, oh, I, I blacked that out. <laughs> I don't, I, I think that was the beginning of me not really watching sports and just being sort of fed up with losing all the time. And then, um, LeBron James got me back into sports. I moved to Chicago and I had some, um, Ohio friends that were out there and we would watch all those games. And again, we would get so close and just nothing. And I just was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't, I just can't watch I just can't watch the losing anymore because it it was just affecting me as a and I know that sounds so silly but if you're listening to this podcast you probably like sports and you probably know what I'm talking about and it is silly but at the same time it's also very real because 
I just feel like there's this thing that I love, and I love it so much, I really do, and I'm not allowed to play it, and it doesn't love me back. So anyway, I didn't really, I didn't watch the World Series for a long time. I watched the 2006 World Series because it was the first time I lived on my own. I moved to South Bend, Indiana, and I lived in this house that had been converted into a couple apartments. Um, and the people that lived upstairs were these really, this really sweet couple who, uh, basically like took me in as an orphan and like would cook for me. And, um, they were my age. They were not older than me, maybe like a couple years, but they were not like an elderly couple that was taking care of me. They were my age and they really just kind of gave me some examples of like, this is how you are an adult and how you live on your own. And this is what you do. Um, and they were Cardinals fans. And I watched the World Series with them and got back into it a little bit. And then, you know, I would catch and pay attention, but I wasn't following baseball. I wasn't seeing what was going on. And I really have, like, a pretty big gap of paying attention to all those World Series. I mean, of course, I, like, paid attention when the Red Sox won. Those kinds of big ones, you know. And New York was just winning constantly, so it was kind of like, I don't care. (laughs) I mean, no offense. Literally no offense to Yankee fans. I don't need to give you shit right now, but, like... It, they were just winning all the time. So I was like, well, this is what this is now. So anyway, that's the combination of why I wasn't really paying attention. And uh, fast forward to 2014, and I think I've mentioned this before. Um, you know, I was living in Los Angeles, and so I would started to get the baseball bug again by going to that game in 2013. And um, then in 2014, um, my grandmother went into the hospital on her 88th birthday for a procedure that was supposed to be normal, but um, it had complications, and essentially that is how she died, and I went back to Ohio to sit with her, and it was a very long process, um, which was very difficult. I mean, you're always expecting someone who is elderly, you know that their time is limited, and it's not usually a surprise when they pass away, but it was difficult. It took literally two months for her to die, which is not great and not something that I would ever want any person to go through. And, um, when I was in the hospital, we watched baseball games together. We watched Cleveland games together. Um, and I just, I remember talking to her about those players and, um, that is literally why it's hard for me to let go of that team. I mean, if I didn't have that, I think I would be able to say this is I nothing, you know, but there's this tiny little thread and it has Nothing to do with the name or the logo or anything. It just has to do with the fact that that was the team that I happened to be talking about with my grandmother while she was dying. And, um, so that is one little thread that I hang on to, but it's, it's slowly fading and I'm, I'm trying to let them go. So anyway, it is what got me back into baseball. And so the following season, I did want to watch a team that wasn't a racist team. And so I, was sparked by the Cubs, you know, um, they were clearly rebuilding. Anybody paying attention to them would see what they had been doing with, um, everybody. And they were exciting. They were young. They were fun. Uh, my, my soon to be in-laws were a Cubs family. I thought, well, this is a perfect fit. You know, I always had an AL team and an, and an NL team. I always had an American league team and a national league team, which got me into a lot of trouble. Like I've said before, specifically in 1995. So I thought, this is fun. I can like the Cubs. The Cubs are never going to win, right? (laughs) So 
I watch them. I root for them in the, in the playoffs. Cleveland gets closer than anybody thinks. I watch Cleveland get it together in the second half. I watch the Cubs get kind of close. I make a prediction the day after Kansas City wins the World Series, I say it's going to be a Cleveland Cubs World Series. What happens but a Cleveland Cubs World Series? That's why it's even harder for me because I felt like I wish one of them got the chance, not both of them. (laughs) That Game 7 was devastating for me. What a crazy Game 7. And this was all before Trump won. And so there was this conversation of like, oh, the Cubs are Hillary and Cleveland is Trump. And well, it turns out they're both Trump. <laughs> I went through my time hop yesterday because yesterday was game seven from last year. I was a lot more, I was a lot less angry when it actually happened. So that's interesting. You know, I got to work on not letting it curdle into worse anger. But the conversation happens afterwards and, you know, it gets flip-flop to, you know, the, the Cubs, like, dominating. And they, it was a very, last year, last year was a very evenly matched World Series, too, for different reasons. Not because they were both 100-win teams, but because, like, the Cubs were young and Cleveland only had essentially two pitchers. And, like, it was a different evenly matched kind of a series, you know? And also, just a side note, in 2015, Cameron, my wife, and I, we were touring after the World Series and happened to be in Kansas City for the parade. And that was just such a nice feeling. And I remember thinking, am I ever going to get to experience this? <laughs> I mean, I've just thought, and I, they had like a, a pop-up store of all the World, World Series stuff. And I put on a Kansas City World Series champions hat. And I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to get to do this. And not for just for Cleveland, but for a team that... I lo- I like or love, you know, or live in the city and and have picked up, you know. I literally don't think I'm going to get to watch my team win the World Series. And that's like a devastatingly nihilistic view, but I just actually think that's the truth. And I don't understand I wish I could understand how Red Sox fans and how Cubs fans could just hang on the whole time. Maybe it's just different. Maybe you live in a city that has more going on. And so you're able to see like, oh, well, there's these other things I can... I mean, Chicago specifically, you had the Bears, you had the Bulls, and you had the Blackhawks. I know it's different. I know it's different because I'm a baseball fan. I had a Cubs fan who was like, yeah, but it's not the same. Like, yes, I see that. I totally get it. I do get it. (laughs) The World Series, if you're a baseball fan, is the World Series. That's it. Doesn't matter. Which is why, like, the NBA Finals, number one, I'm glad it was the Cavs. I'm glad it was the one of the not-racist teams. And quite honestly, the third-tier team in Cleveland. People love uh, the Browns and the baseball team. And the Cavs are just like, okay, the Cavs are the Cavs. Not to say they weren't happy when the Cavs won, but I just mean, if you're from there, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody else doesn't. Cleveland isn't a base- basketball city. Cleveland is a... Football city, Cleveland is a baseball city. That's just kind of how it is. But I am really glad it was the Cavaliers that that broke the championship drought because it just means so much more. Plus, the story of LeBron James being from Akron and doing it is way better and just a perfect story. I'm not saying it's not great. I just, whatever. I'm just trying to illustrate a point. So anyway, I, I guess I just, you know, Boston has the Patriots, for Christ's sake, and the Celtics. 
So you have other things that you can at least, whether consciously or not, look to to be happy. The thing about Cleveland is that there's not those other things going on. Cleveland is a great place. I'm not trying to shit on it. It's just that Cleveland, Akron, like, that's kind of it. Those are the things that are going on. I mean, that's what, if you watch the Believeland documentary, that's what they talk about. Like, essentially, we were, our industry just left. And so the only thing we had to represent us was sports, and then our sports couldn't do it. So it was just kind of sad. So I've just kind of had that feeling basically ever since 1995, because 1995, at age 13, was the first time that I ever really thought, oh, I'm going to do it. The place I'm from is going to do it. We're going to do it. And I had my heart broken by sports for the first time. And it's just never been the same since then. And every year, every time, I think you cannot think you're going to win. You cannot think it. You can be positive, but you cannot go so far as to say like, oh, I'm going to get this hat. Because <laughs> I've just always wanted a hat with my team logo on it, with the World Series logo on the side, and I don't think it's ever going to happen. So, that brings us to this season. There was something magical going on for the Dodgers and also something magical going on for the Astros. I watched that team in, in 2014. I watched what was going on. I saw what they were building. I knew they were a huge threat. I mean, I I pay attention to baseball. I played fantasy baseball this season. My friend had Jose Altuve. I saw what was going on. And the biggest problem to me for the Astros was their pitching. They knew that. And the biggest problem for the Dodgers was doing it. That's always been the biggest problem. So, I don't need to go over the whole series because you have this whole podcast to do it. Um, I actually just am going to go through my tweets about Game 7 because I actually think it's exactly how I feel about it. I've read a lot of pieces about it. I would highly recommend... um, Lindsay Adler's piece, I've retweeted a bunch of them, so if you go to my feed, you can find the things I, I think are are there. Somebody was betting on the Dodgers all the way through, and they won like $8 million or $14 million, and they let it ride. They lost it all. This is why I don't gamble. <laughs> so, these are my thoughts, and this is actually about the whole series. So, um, the Astros... They only seemed to lack confidence in game one. I think they were, you know, they had nerves of being in the World Series. They're somewhat younger team than the Dodgers, so they seemed to get a little bit stunned. I would say, you know, the Chris Taylor first pitch home run was also probably a big uh, part of that. I can't imagine that happening. You know, they got just got stunned. But the biggest thing about, the, the biggest uh, positive, the, the, the through line for the Astros is that they didn't, let anything fully affect them. And I think that a lot of that goes to A.J. Hinch and a lot of that goes to Justin Verlander because they did not have a veteran on their team other than Carlos Beltran, but what he just wasn't... Maybe they needed two. You know, maybe they needed two voices because they needed a new voice that came in and said, look, this is what you guys have. Do you not know what you guys have? Put your head down. Keep going. Have another good at bat. Stay in this game. That's exactly what he did, and he kept them in the series the whole time. Game two, I didn't get to watch it, 
I haven't watched it. I don't know if I'll go back and watch it now. I was going to go back and watch it if the Dodgers won, but they didn't, so I don't know if I care. But from what I know and what happened in that series, they pull Rich Hill early. Now, to me, that is a repetition of what started their 16 out of 17 slump in August. The reason that the Dodgers went on that crazy long slump in the back half of the season, what I think is the truth, is because they had a lineup going that had mojo, that had magic, that had energy. They were connecting. They were understanding how they were hitting together. Jock Peterson was even hitting well before the slump. You know why? Because he was hitting behind Cody Bellinger, the new rookie, who was hitting well. So he would be watching a guy have a good at-bat, and then he would go up and try to replicate that same thing. And then he was hitting well. So what happens for game for, for those games? Number one, Rich Hill... He doesn't blow a perfect game. The Dodgers blow a perfect game for him. I've said this before. So we've got Rich Hill in game two. He's pitching, he's seven strikeouts in four innings. Now, you can yell at me and say, oh, they can't see Rich Hill a third time around. Really? I would have liked to have seen that happen. Because we'll never know otherwise, because it never happened. But pulling Rich Hill early was a huge mistake. Rich Hill is underrated. He's a feel-good story for this World Series, but Dave Roberts didn't let it happen. You can think I'm wrong, but this is my belief. He pulls Rich Hill early, and then he shows A.J. Hinch and the entire team his entire bullpen, which is supposed to be his biggest weapon. They see all of it. They see the whole thing. They see his entire bullpen right before they go to play the one pitcher that they've seen the most, you Darvish. So they take game two, which is a huge advantage. There's no reason that the Dodgers should have given up that game at home. That was, to me, that's the end of it. They won right there. The Astros won right there. (laughs) So Minute Maid in game three proves to be a significant factor. And unfortunately, racism starts to infect the series. If that hadn't happened, this would be such a different World Series. You Darvish pitches like garbage. I think because he just wasn't ready for that kind of a stage. He's also, I think it was intense. I think it's intense in Minute Maid. I think it's hard to tell on TV how loud it is in there. I mean, I think later on in the series in uh, that game five when Chris Taylor couldn't hear that he was saying go is proof enough that Minute Maid can get in your head that it's really loud in there. So for game four, the Dodgers snap back into their first half form, but their losing streak feeling is still there. Because oh, the thing I didn't say about the losing streak is that Dave Roberts started making all these lineup changes and moving people around and doing all this crazy shit. They just couldn't win anymore. They got it. They got snapped out of their thing. Cody Bellinger goes on the DL. Like all the Adrian Gonzalez comes back. All this stuff. Again, Adrian Gonzalez came back for game two. He was on the field for game two, taking batting practice. Guess what? They lost game two. If you don't believe in luck and stuff like that, that's fine. But I just find it to be a crazy coincidence. A wild coincidence. That Adrian Gonzalez comes back from the DL. They go on a huge losing streak in their historic winning season. Then they go to the World Series. Adrian Gonzalez says, I'm not going. Then he shows up to Game 2. They lose. Weird. It's a weird, weird, weird coincidence. So George Springer comes in pretty ice cold. And then all of a sudden, he snaps into it, starts hitting home runs, and basically doesn't stop. I could give you all the stats of like all the names and everything, but you've seen it already. He has a historic home run winning streak through the World Series. I don't like his haircut, but other than that, 
he hits like a monster and just doesn't look back. And the Dodgers never adjust. They never adjust the way they pitch to him. They still just leave hanging sliders for him to just tee off. So for Game 5, Minute made strikes again, and A.J. Hinch cruises through a beneficial zone, great hitting, and unforced Dodger managerial errors. A lot of people are saying this isn't Dave Roberts. I think it is. I think he overmanaged the shit out of it. He always overmanages. I mean, all you gotta do is look at, look at those two managers in these games. I'm not saying A.J. Hinch didn't do a good job. Sometimes doing a good job is not doing anything at all. He pin, he made, he pinch hit, other than pitchers in national, when they were at Dodger Stadium, he made one pinch hit. And that was in game seven for Josh Reddick. One. I don't know how many Dave Roberts made. I couldn't even give you a projection. 30? In Game 5, I think the the biggest mistake the Dodgers made in Game 5 was putting Kike to, to bunt in the top of the 7th in a tie game. Just really confounding. I just don't understand. So, okay. So, Game 5 is essentially Game 2, but on steroids. And the Dodgers waste many opportunities to win, and the Astros just don't waste any. They see their opportunities, they don't waste them. That is continually the story through this entire series. The Dodgers have tons of opportunities, and when we get to Game 7, I'll talk about this again. Dodgers have tons of opportunities, they get in their own way. Astros don't even have to do much. Honestly. I'm not saying they didn't play well, they played well. When you don't have to do much, that means you're playing well. Because you could easily let another team just like waste themselves away, and then they'll maybe overtake you because you start thinking, oh, well, we've got this in the bag. They never did that. I think they knew they won it many times, but they didn't allow that to, to overcome them and then make mistakes. And I think the Dodgers did. I think the Dodgers thought they had this in the bag, and then they just never caught up to themselves. So game six is back in Dodger Stadium. The home team summons their post, uh, their post 16 of 17 lost skid mojo, and they essentially eke out a 3-1 win to force game seven. Ultimately feeling like in game six, oh, they've got it back again. This is going to be great. No, it was just a fleeting moment, I think. And again, they pull Rich Hill early. When he did that again, I was like, I tweeted, the Houston Astros better get Dave Roberts a nice thank you gift. I just think that's bullshit. It could be the right decision, but did, do you see what it did to their team? Do you see what it did to the players on the field? There were multiple times when he would make these decisions when the players would be like, really? I mean, Rich Hill was smashing things. The dude went out there and gave his teammate the chance to... He, he stepped off the mound. He messed with his own timing in a World Series game to allow the crowd to boo a guy that wasn't suspended for making a racist gesture, that didn't really seem... Look, this could just be the way the guy is made up, and I'm not... Whatever. He never seemed to be that remorseful. Even when he tipped his cap, maybe this is just the way the guy looks, and he didn't realize this is what he looked like. It looked pretty sarcastic to me. I mean, it just didn't seem like... I mean, I guess he was trying, sure. Trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but he just didn't really seem like he gave too many shits about it. And the way the whole thing was framed, which is out of that guy's control, was that, like... Everyone else was making the mistake, and it wasn't that big of a deal, and he was overcoming this adversity, and it just was super weird. And I applaud Rich Hill for what he did, stepping off the mound and letting the crowd boo the guy. Because, like, 
dude, you deserve it. You, yeah, you Darvish was shit in the World Series. Just say he was shit. Like, don't make fun of him for who he is. You know what I mean? I, that's, and he wasn't getting, he's suspended next season. Okay, he's got a World Series ring. So what the fuck does that, you know what I mean? Like, it's whatever. So I applaud Rich Hill, a 38-year-old dude who's been bounced around, who's in the World Series and gives his teammate that moment. And then you pull him again after he's pitching well. You pull him again. Mentally, emotionally, for the team on the field, and for the Astros. Do you know what that did for the Astros? They thought, they don't have it again. They don't have it. They ended up losing that game, but by not much. It's not like the the Dodgers didn't crush them. It was almost like when the Astros lost, it was more beneficial to them. I also think, you know, the Dodgers only lost one game going into this series. And I think that was... It ended up proving to be not helpful because they didn't have... They only had to rebound from a loss one time. The same goes for Cleveland last season. They only lost one time on the way to the World Series, and they didn't win either. So it's almost like when you have to... When you have to work it, if you can do it in a way that doesn't tire you out, which they seem to do, it's almost more beneficial. So anyway, so we get to game seven. It's essentially, I mean, I, I was in New Orleans. I was at Tulane, Tulane University with uh, comedian Kyle Ayers, and we had like three laptops and my phone all trying to get on the most current feed of the game. And so we're like setting it up, watching the beginning before the show starts and you Darvish clearly doesn't have it George Springer gets a double on the third pitch I said fourth pitch online I was wrong third pitch double good double too and I remember going oh no this is not this doesn't look good and then you have the throwing error by Cody Bellinger and I'm pretty sure I went oh and that was it I mean that was pretty much the end of the game right there I didn't get to watch much of it. I was paying attention to like the score in my app. Kind of glad I didn't watch it. All the recaps I've seen, they left, what, 13 guys on base? Dodgers had many opportunities to make this a game, but it wasn't. They were out of it. They were just out of it. I mean, I can't believe Dave Roberts left him in to give up that two-run home run to George Springer. Just ridiculous. Just like you might as well, you just gave it to them. Not that they didn't play well. They played very well, but they definitely... The Dodgers did not come to play Game 7. They just didn't have it together. I think the Astros' bullpen, which had been, you know, their one glaring weak spot, whatever they did, whatever conversations they had, A.J. Hinch telling Ken Giles, you're not the closer... Seems harsh to him, but apparently it worked for everybody else. I mean, Charlie Morton had a bit of an up-and-down season. He pitched some really great games. I picked him up many times. And he had another great game. I think their bullpen saw the finish line, realized they had to step up, and then they stepped up. Also, like Correa and Altuve, I mean, you know, game five, they had, they produced a lot of offense. Other than that, they weren't the big, George Springer was the big, was the dude. I mean, George Springer and Alex Bregman stepped up for an out of gas Correa and Altuve. 
I'm not saying anything bad for those guys. I just think Altuve and Correa carried the team to get there, and then other dudes stepped up. And that's what you needed to do. That's what you needed to have happen. And the Dodgers were kind of doing that. You know, Chris Taylor, Logan Forsythe was hitting really well. Justin Turner was hitting really well early. Justin Turner ran out of gas 100%. He got beat up. He got beat up on his knee on the field, and then he got pelted twice. The fact that they had so many hit-by-pitches in Game 7 and they couldn't score a single run is the whole thing. They just lost it. I think they were demoralized by all those lineup changes. I really do. I think their pitchers were mad. I don't think their pitchers were happy. You can't go into a Game 7. You can't go into a World Series game if with an unhappy team. I mean, Justin Turner runs out of gas. Chris Taylor stops hitting for contact. He starts swinging for a home run every at-bat. Seager swings at every first pitch. He's in the hole every single time. And Bellinger's age absolutely catches up to him. He has one good game in the World Series. One. The secondary players anchoring the early games similarly run out of mojo. Puig and Peterson are bright spots. Yasmani Grandal didn't even bat in the World Series, I don't think. Springer and Bregman carry the weight of an only somewhat taxed Altuve and Correa, and the Astros are ultimately less affected by the racist slur than the, the Dodgers. Honestly, I think it, like, helped them. I'm not saying that they're like, ooh, this is great. I think they just were like, oh, we gotta win because of this. If you get anything, and, and it should have been the Dodgers saying, oh, we gotta win this. And I think they were saying that, but they just couldn't do it. And I think it's hard when you Darvish goes back out there and does the same shit to them. If the Dodgers keep him, it's going to be really hard for the fans. I mean, I feel bad for the guy. I really do. But, like, he should not be pitching in Los Angeles. He lost them the World Series, man. That's crazy. I think also last year the AL home advantage actually worked towards the Cubs' victory because they got to put Kyle Schwarber, who is, like, just not a good defender, in the DH and just have him hit. And whether he produced a ton of offense or not, he was still a threat, kind of like Aaron Judge being in the lineup and striking out all the time. He was still always a threat to maybe crush a home run. And then this year, the opposite was true. The the NL Park actually worked to A.J. Hinch's advantage because he just was like, I'm just going to play the NL game the same way I play the AL game. I'll leave my pitcher in there. Who cares? I'll let the rest of the offense produce, and he can go up there and strike out. Who cares? It's one out. Dave Roberts making a million moves trying to play this NL game, and he's trying to play the NL game and the AL. It's He was doing too much. The Astros didn't have a closer, and they didn't even need one. Also, I think ultimately, when you look at the series as a whole, the Astros won both of the intense, wild, out-of-this-world games. They won both of them. If it was a split, you have a different series, but it wasn't. The Astros won game two, and they won game five. That's all you need to know. That's where they won the series right there. So that's it. That's my analysis. I think... I wish we could have more teams winning at home, though, because it's really... It's so devastating, even though I, you know, on top of having a connection to either of the teams in the World Series last year or this year, it's just like... Can't they just win at home? <laughs> then just the team walks away, you know? I mean, man, I was seeing the Cubs, the moment of the Cubs winning last year, and I, it was the first time I didn't turn away in a while, and uh, I noticed how quickly Sandy Alomar just turns and runs off the field, and then they were going through all the Game 7 moments, 
1997, Sandy Alomar Jr. did the same thing. He just turned and ran off the field. So ultimately, I mean, congratulations to the Astros. They've never won a World Series in their existence. Can't say that anymore. The Astros have won a World Series. Happy, always happy for that. Baseball is in a renaissance right now. I truly believe all these teams that haven't won are winning again. I don't think Cleveland's going to win one. I just don't think we can. I'm a negative person. Gotta have hope, people say. No, I don't. I don't, actually. I can just live like this. <laughs> so we'll see. I think... I do think the Astros have a good chance of going back, but... I thought the same of the Cubs in Cleveland, and they didn't have the stuff to do it. I think it's a lot harder these days. I think it's a different, it's a different game with all the analysis and everything and all, I don't know, all the, everything that they've got. It's just a different game. I think the Yankees have a good chance. They've got a new manager now, though. And so there's so many different things. I made a prediction of Yankees Phillies next year. Who gives a shit? Let's see. So that's it. Baseball's over. Yesterday was the sa- one of my saddest days when all there is is football. Oh, one more thing about the Astros. They beat the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Dodgers to win the World Series. I think that one day I will be able to look at that as really cool. Right now, it's kind of cool. <laughs> but I think it's, it, it's, a, it's a nice, that's a, some great writing right there. That a, quote, new team an expansion team, an early original expansion team, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, the Astros still feel like some new team. They're not, but they still feel like a new team, and they got to beat the the what the, the original three, essentially. They beat the original three to win the World Series for the first time. Great story. So that's, 20, that's 2017 baseball. Los Angeles Dodgers are your National League champs, and the Houston Astros are your World Series champions. This has been Likely Mad as Hell, my World Series tour diary. Let's see what happens in the future. I'd like to keep doing this in some capacity. Please let me know if you want me to keep doing it, what you'd like me to talk about. We're thinking about different things. Brett and I have been talking. Big shout out to Brett for helping me get this together and keeping me on track and helping me do it while I'm in different places all across the country. So similarly big shout out to Forever Dog Productions to getting this thing going. Shout out to Feral Audio for helping us produce it. Shout out to Paul F. Tompkins, my single guest (laughs) on the entire series. Shout out to him one more time for Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. Thank you to Major League Baseball for a wonderful season. Thank you to the Los Angeles Dodgers for getting me through a really tough time. And thank you to the Houston Astros for one of the best World Series I've ever seen. That's it. If you liked it, you liked it. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.